Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Play Sheet Podcast. I'm here with my good friend, Joe. Hi, as always. And we're going to get straight into it and talk some NFL. So, Joe, let's start where, well, really where we kind of left off last week. Let's talk a little bit about OBJ. He's found his new team now. He's there with the Rams. Things didn't quite go to plan on Monday night, did they? I'm telling my dad on you, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his dad is probably already making another tape why Matthew Stafford already cutting another is, tape. is a terrible quarterback. Well, look, I'm not going to say he's where he wants to be because I don't know if he really wanted to be a Ram. If you'd have asked him two weeks ago where he wanted to end up, I don't think it was the Rams. I don't think that was top of the list. I mean, Seahawks were mentioned quite a bit, weren't they? Green Bay was mentioned a fair amount. I'm not sure if that's just because Green Bay needs a wide receiver so much. But there was also quite a lot of talk of Patriots. It seemed that like Rams came in quite late and came in quite hard to get him. But there he is. Now, look, is he going to get more targets? Yes, he will. Because of Robert Woods. I believe if Robert Woods was still there, Bobby Trees, it would be a slightly different situation. And he may have been struggling for targets as much as he was at the Browns. But it is what it is. A couple of quick questions for you, Charles, actually, that I want to just ask you about obj and about the browns and about everything that's going on in general which wide receiver had the most targets for the browns in 2021 well i'm guessing by your line of questioning not obj it probably isn't even landry is it people's jones totally wrong it's a tied first landry and odell beckham oh is it they both were tied for the most targets but that's for wide receivers baker mayfield only threw the ball to wide receivers 134 times and they had 34 targets each 25 percent wow don't want to get too bogged down in the numbers, but Matthew Stafford has thrown the ball to wide receivers 264 times, almost double the number of times that Baker Mayfield has. However, as you're no doubt aware, he's thrown the ball to Cooper Cup 44% of the time, 116 times. And I see no signs of that volume to Cup going down. It's working, so why would you change that? You're not going to change the system just because you bring in ODB. Robert Woods, though, was the second most voluminous wide receiver. 69 targets, 26% of the ball. Now, I think Odell Beckham Jr. will probably fit into that situation again, where he's basically receiving a core of the targets. Do with that as you will. The Rams favour what he wants slightly more though, because they throw the ball to running backs and tight ends less. Now, Baker Mayfield threw the ball to wide receivers 134 times. He threw it to running backs and tight ends a combined total of 147 times. That's where the ball was going. Whereas Matthew Stafford throwing the ball to wide receivers 264 times, he only threw it to running backs and tight ends 99 times. So you can see where the ball is going, how these quarterbacks operate, how the systems operate. Because I'm saying Mayfield, but you know, plays aren't necessarily being called by Mayfield. They're being called on the sidelines and Mayfield's just executing. He'll see more of a ball, but he's not going to see more share probably. And I'm not sure how it's going to sit with ODB. Where do you see it? Well, I think it really is going to depend massively on his performance and how quickly he can get to grips with the playbook. I think we've we saw this with, uh, we've seen it with Sammy Watkins, we've seen it with quite a few players. When they come in and they join a new team late in the season, it's remarkably difficult to get on the same page. And we're asking OBJ here, not just anybody, to get on the same page. This is the man that likes to improvise and run his own plays from time to time whenever he feels like it. And the interception that we saw on Monday night, I'm not saying it was purely OBJ's fault. You know, Stafford looked like he threw it quite considerably wide, but ODB still 
quit on the play. He still improvised partway through it and just decided not to finish his route or he didn't run the right route. So whether that was down to his improvisation, whether that was down to just confusion and running the wrong play, if things like that keep happening, there's no chance that... In fairness, though, he did hit Jimmy Ward, so he did finish the play, I would say that. Like a safety, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 so Jimmy Ward's got his number. But look, the question I was asking, though, do you think that he will be satisfied just with an uptick in volume, or do you think that he's going to want to be the wide receiver one? You could understand him maybe accepting not being wide receiver one when his best mate Jarvis Landry was kind of sharing that role with him. But in the Rams, where he's got no loyalty to his other wide receivers, do you think that he has to be the man here? Or is he going to accept, you know, maybe having 100 targets a season rather than 50 targets a season? Well, I think he's going to have to accept it because I'm not sure there's another option anywhere in the league. I don't know where OBJ can walk into a team and be first choice straight off the bat, no conversation asked. Back at the Giants? (laughs) yeah good luck with your tail between your legs there (laughs) yeah no true well look look, i'm not sure i'd strictly agree with you there i think there are probably teams he could go into and would probably be the highest quality wide receiver on that team but regardless if he is on this team or not like we said earlier it's working with cup right now cup has been the he has been the wide receiver of 2021, really. He's he's absolutely dominated in certain games. And the connection he seems to have with Stafford is definitely working. I just think it is a real shame because he could be, even if he's not the number one wide receiver, he could be such an excellent decoy receiver. If he didn't throw his fits, if he performed at the top of his game, it would force defences to ask questions. If he treats the Rams in the same way that he ended with the Browns, people are going to switch off to OBJ because they'll just know that he's not really a target that people are genuinely considering. And I think to remain effective, he needs to get his attitude right so that defenders actually think, oh, you know, this could go to OBJ or it could go to Cup or it could go to Woods. They're not going to ask those questions if he's throwing fits. I don't think it's going to Woods. I don't think it's going to Woods uh, this season. Well, not this season, no, but Hope, I mean, I presume he wants to stay with the Rams beyond this season. Well, I don't know whether he does, Charles, because I would expect that he's going to want to get paid. He's still mainly getting most of his salary from the Browns this year. I mean, the Rams paid him more than veteran minimum, but prorate that out for the rest of the season. And yeah, he's doing well this year, but he's going to want a proper contract next season. And will he get that with the Rams? You know, especially, especially if the Rams, for argument's sake, do go on and I'm just speaking hypothetically here. Say they go and win Super Bowl, you've suddenly got some players you've got to really pay big. The Rams have got their own contractual things they need to sort out next season. They're going to have to find probably a new left tackle, probably a new right tackle. They're probably going to lose both tackles. And, you know, very important, expensive positions to fill. They don't have draft picks, as we know. So will paying someone like OBJ be a luxury that's not really manageable? I'm not sure that I see... Beckham Jr. with Rams next season. I'd probably say it's more unlikely than not. Fair enough. And then we've seen Stafford now, back-to-back pretty poor games. Is is this a blip for Stafford, or do you think this is Stafford starting to return to form a little bit? I don't think it's either. I think that there was just too much hype play Stafford's way at the start of the season. And this is one of those things where I feel slightly vindicated and sane. I was not on the Buccaneers bandwagon last year, 
I kind of held that. I felt quite smug when they were only 10-6, but then they went and won Super Bowl, so I looked a bit silly there. I wasn't on the Stafford bandwagon to start with. I, I said at times that he looked like he was playing well, he was doing well, but he's been massively, massively hyped. And if you listen to some kind of pundits, you'd think that he's, you know, the second comer of Joe Montana mixed with Tom Brady. He's a decent quarterback. He was a decent quarterback at the Lions. He's playing better at the Rams than he probably was at the Lions. But is he a top three quarterback? No, he's not. And he had a very good start to the season, but he's going to have down games. That's Matthew Stafford. A couple of bad games doesn't make him a bad quarterback, but I don't think the start to the season made him better than what he was. Fair enough, yeah. So then let's have a little bit of a chat about some of these NFC teams because uh, it wasn't a particularly good week for the NFC, was it, Joe? Well, bad week for the seeded teams, really, all those teams who are up there, but except perhaps the Cowboys who had a bad week last week. Aside from them, all the other, you know, division leaders and teams with good records took a bit of a pasting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw the Cardinals. Obviously, we know they're running with their backup quarterback for the second game in a row, but won the first game against the Seahawks. So I think the Cardinals went into this game and people were potentially quite high on the Cardinals still coming out of a victory with this one, but the game was well and truly handed to them. Um, and then the Bucks, that was a bit of an upset as well yeah I was surprised by how much the Cardinals capitulated because throughout most of the season you know Kyler Murray has been playing well enough to be in the MVP conversation deservedly but it's not just been about him the defense has been strong special teams have been fine the Cardinals have been a good well-rounded team but on every side of the ball they fell apart in the last game and you know the Panthers had McCaffrey back they had Cam back and I know you want to talk about that in just a second but all in all, it's not like this Pampers team is, you know, expected to have a deep playoff run. It's not like they're league beaters. And for the Cardinals to capitulate on every side of the ball like they did, big questions there. Yeah, it certainly was surprising. So the Bucks as well, probably a surprised loss there to Washington. Did you see this one coming, Charles? No, I didn't. And to be honest, even as I was watching the game, I thought, yeah, but the Bucks, they're going to turn this one around. They're going to have enough in them to do it. But what I will say is, because I did watch it closely because it was so interesting and so exciting, I personally think this was incredibly well game managed by Ron Riviera. When you look at the amount of plays that they had in each drive, especially in the kind of third and fourth quarters of the, as they were trying to stifle the game and just keep Tom Brady, keep him from getting that ball back, it was excellent. It was an absolute masterclass in if you're winning against a better team, this is how you need to play. They certainly hustled. And what was your view on Brady's performance during that game? Do you think that Brady had a down game? Like, I mean, you know, we always expect when the Bucks are losing in the fourth quarter now to have that shot of Brady on the bench with a towel across his knees looking angry. We just didn't get that this time. Do you think that the performance he put out there was a downer on how he's played recently? Or do you think that he's going through maybe a bit of a rough patch right now? To be honest, I don't see this too differently from last season. And you mentioned it just a moment ago, you know, you weren't particularly hot on the Bucks. They lost a few games and then it came good in the postseason. This can happen with Brady. It's the expectation that the Bucks win every game 
it shouldn't be there. I don't think it really is amongst the NFL fan base. And this was just one of those games. And they came up against a Washington team that we know can, on their day, have tremendous nights on defense. And I think they played well. Absolutely. So we've touched on the NFC teams there. Not going for a whole conference here, but AFC North, what was happening in that division this week? Oh, it was an absolutely bonkers one. So just to recap, uh, the Ravens lost on the Thursday night to the Dolphins. The Steelers had a, well, a game for the ages in terms of how bad some of the plays were. Uh, a draw against the Detroit Lions, the winless Detroit Lions in what, week 10. And then the Browns obviously got slaughtered by the Patriots. <laughs> this is hilarious because the Detroit Lions, they've managed to be the first team that's avoided going 0-17 and because they've got themselves a tie here. You know, they may go on to draw or win another game uh, the rest of the season, but they've avoided that fate. Good on them. But, oh, what a fashion to do it in, honestly. I obviously had to suffer through the Green Bay Bengals overtime game where there are like five missed kicks in overtime. This felt very similar to that game where it was just fumble, interception, bungle, mistake. Nobody wanted to win and in the end nobody did. Unnecessarily as well though, it felt that the play calling was terrible at times because there were moments where a field goal would win it and a team would get in field goal range. I mean, do a stupid pass or something like that, a, a, a high-risk pass that led to an interception. It's just, just stuff like that, which you've got to question the play calling. Completely agree with you, yeah. Multiple times, teams were in a position to win it. And then, like you said, went and did something just monumentally stupid, high-risk, that you just think, you don't need to do that. You've, you're there. Just do your job. And... Th- I don't know whether the blood rushed to people's heads and they just wanted to win it in a proper fashion and not rely on the kicker or, or what, but oh, it was bad news for both teams. Neither team came out of that looking good. Remember when we said that AFC North was good, remember? Well, obviously we focused quite a bit on this podcast in recent weeks on the divisional matchups, just sort of panning back for a second and taking a look at the conference as a whole. The AFC, there are 11 teams that are between five and six wins. So if we take a look at actually this this Pittsburgh game, they're currently fifth seed after their tie. If they'd have won that game, they'd be second seed. If they'd have lost it, they would have been ninth seed. That is how tight the conference is this year. You've basically only got four teams that are probably out of playoffs. And even then, you could probably still make a case for it's not impossible for, say, the Dolphins to go on a late run. Now, I'm not saying that they will by any means at all. But the Dolphins being 3-7 and seven doesn't necessarily write them off of it. But let's say they are. Dolphins, Jets, Jaguars and Texans. They are the only teams who are genuinely out of playoffs. The fourth place team in the AFC North for Browns are 5-5. Five and five. They're one win off the top, the 6-3 Ravens. The fourth place team in the AFC West, the Broncos, also 5-5. Five and five. One win off the top, who are now the Chiefs again, 6-4. and four. It is so close. And the only separation from any team really, as it stands still, are the Titans. And they won as we expected they would. And we've said previously on the podcast that they have a relatively, relatively easier run for the rest of the regular season. So it is literally all to play for. I can't really recall seeing two divisions in one conference so tight. 
Yeah, and do you know what I love? You you could look at this edition of the 17th game this season and think, how meaningful is that Week 17 game going to be? How much of the playoff picture is already going to have been decided by that stage? This is the season to have it. I'm I'm so right? glad that we've got it this season because it's going right down to that wire. Um, Talking about how close things are, this kind of leads us on to our previews for next week. It's a great kind of run-in. By the bookies, the Bills are currently equal favourites with the Buccaneers to win Super Bowl. If you look at the bookies right now, Bills are the favourite team to win the AFC. Will they even win the AFC East, Charles, with how the Patriots go? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question because the Patriots have certainly refound some form. I think that has all stemmed from the defence for the Patriots. They had a couple of squiffy weeks where the defence just wasn't doing what the Patriots' defence we're used to seeing does. And they stalled a bit. It hurt the offence. They've really found that rhythm again. And it feels like it's given Mac Jones that time and that ability to gain some composure. And now the offence is starting to click. They've got a few players that I think are even going to be coming back on the offence. Harris should be coming back soon from his uh, head injury. So they are a team that is finding some momentum, finding some rhythm and a lot of this team has been put together. It's made of kind of new pieces or bit pieces left over from last season. So you could expect that it might take them a little bit of time to get into the swing of things. If this is the Patriots that we can expect to see week in and week out moving forward, then yeah, I think the Bills are at risk because they're no sure shot. They went off to a stormer at the beginning of the season, smashing teams like 53 or whatever. And now it looks like they're struggling a bit and they don't quite have the same potent offense that they had at the beginning of the season. And that was really what was was helping the Bills push forward. And actually, in fairness, the Bills were very good defensively at the beginning of the season. That's also just started to slide back a bit. So where we saw them at the beginning absolutely rocketing off, they're slipping back a bit. Patriots, they started off slow but are coming in strong. This could go down to the wire in that division. Yeah, absolutely could. You've, you've, you've touched on a lot of points there, Charles. I agree with most of it, so I'm not going to dig into too much of what you said there. But I want to go back to one of the stats that I pulled out earlier on. I don't want to overdo stats, but there's a nice bit of serendipity here. I was talking about target leaders for wide receivers. This isn't a trick question. Who is the target leader amongst wide receivers for the Patriots? I mean, I would have said Hunter Henry, but that's only because I hear his name every single time a touchdown's called. Amongst wide receivers. Oh, sorry, amongst wide receivers. Honestly, mate, I, I would struggle to say who even the New England Patriots leading wide receivers are, so that's a difficult one for me. Which is an interesting comment, because when Tom Brady was winning with the Patriots a fair amount, he often didn't have too much of a supporting cast of wide receivers with him. He had his man each season, really. He had either Edelman, Welker, or Moss, or going back to people like Branch. But... It, he never had an elite core, you could, you could probably argue, around him. So the target leader for the Patriots at the wide receiver position is Jacoby Myers. He's had 76 targets this season. Just to give you a little context, Landry and ODB, the two leading wide receivers at the Browns, had 34 each. So Jacoby Myers has, has had more targets than Landry and, o, and Odell Beckham Jr. combined. It shocked me when I was watching a game this weekend to discover... Jacoby Myers scored his first touchdown ever this weekend. Well, it didn't shock me, Joe, because I've had him in fantasy for about four weeks before I dropped him. Nice <laughs> of him to come in good this week. He's, 
he's the first like it just feels like he's been around for a while this is his third season i believe he has been the target leader amongst wide receivers this season he was the target leader amongst wide receivers last season he's been around and he's had lots of targets and it's taken him until now to score a touchdown but it just shows that belichick has stuck with him belichick's had that faith uh, that's that's just something small that i just wanted to bring up there and I'm sure that that probably surprised some people as much as it did me. Yeah, and then just very briefly before we go into our previews definitively, just talking of of kind of expatriates, Cam has found a new home now at the Panthers. I'm back, as he famously shouted into the cameras. What what do you make of that and that performance? With his helmet off. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting how 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 he was used. And are we going to see him take up a kind of Taysom Hill role? Is that what his role is going to be in this team going forward because he certainly didn't play quarterback really to much of that game at all he, he was definitely used in certain roles certain situations sure the Panthers were playing well PJ Walker might not have been setting the world on fire but he was doing an acceptable job they didn't seem to want to bring Newton in at this stage to quarterback the team which is probably understand he's been away for two years now Playbook's changed, doesn't have a rapport with these wide receivers as much. I can understand that. I'm just curious, though, as to whether this will be how things are run going forward with PJ Walker starting QB, PJ Walker, the Drew Brees, so to speak, or the Jameis Winston, and Cam Newton coming on as a Taysom Hill. I wonder I wonder if they keep that dynamic going forward or whether Cam Newton will ultimately take over as a fully-fledged, every-down quarterback. Personally, I think that's the best way to use him. And I think the Patriots proved that. I think when you give him the reins, look, he's he's a certain age. He's, he's a certain type of quarterback in the way that he plays. And his body has taken some absolute poundings. I don't think he is the same player that he was in his heyday. And actually, I think if you use him sparingly in certain plays, he will be an absolute menace and he will score touchdowns. But I just don't think that you can trust him to quarterback full football games uh, for an entire season. I don't think his body can take it. And I'm not sure even mentally he's that zoned in on that. But to use him in the same way that the Saints use Hill, I think that's the, that's how you get the best out of Cam at the moment. I think I totally agree. And what would set Cam apart from someone like Hill as well is that Cam Newton can genuinely throw the ball. Yes. It's not like when Hill comes on, you're like, well... He's going to run it because he always runs it because he's not really got that much of an arm at all. And is he even a hyped-up running back because is he actually a tight end and he's just a tight end who's been given the chance to throw the ball a little bit. With Cam Newton, he is a real quarterback. So he can throw that ball. So if he is on the two-yard line, yeah, he's probably going to superman it over, but there's nothing to stop him throwing a nice shoulder fade and getting a touchdown that yeah. way. So if they do use him in that manner, you're right. It keeps him healthy, it keeps him fresh, and it keeps teams guessing. So it'll be interesting. I agree with you, Charles. I don't think that's how it's going to play out, though. I think that PJ Walker will probably get phased out. We might see Cam Newton in maybe half of the snaps to start off this week. We might see him maybe have the first scripted drive of the game or the first scripted drive of the second half. And then PJ Walker takes over a little bit. I think we'll see Cam Newton coming in more and more. But I agree with you. I think he should be used sparingly. So... After Dallas then absolutely hunted the Falcons to near extinction last week, do you see them faring any better against the Patriots? I don't. And I just want to talk quickly about the games that the Patriots have 
for the rest of the season. Patriots are 6-4. The Bills are 6-3. They both have six wins, but obviously the Bills have a better win percentage, so sit atop of the AFC East. Now, in terms of games for the rest of the season, the Patriots and Bills still have to play each other twice. They're going to be huge games. One of those games is a Boxing Day game, 6 o'clock on Boxing Day. It's going to be huge. Looking forward to that. The others on the 7th of December. You take that away, the Patriots have one tough game the rest of the season. And that's the week after next at the Titans. The other games, Falcons, Colts, Jaguars and Dolphins. Oh, nice. You've got to probably say they're going to win all four of them. It's an easier run. Now, the Bills, like I said, the Bills have got to play the Patriots twice. They also have the Saints, probably an easy win game there. They also have the Falcons and Jets, easy enough wins there. They've got the Colts this weekend, but they've got the Bucks and they've got the Panthers. Now, the Panthers can go either way, but the Bucks is definitely not an easy win game. Patriots probably have an easier running for the rest of the season. So those two games that the Bills and Patriots have are going to be absolutely critical. I expect the Patriots to... With all due respect to the Falcons, I expect them to give the Falcons a bit of a hiding here again and probably put up a score against them. And then people are going to really be talking about the Patriots because the Bills are playing the Colts. They should win that. But we're going to have probably a 7-4 seven, a seven Patriots. It's going to start to bring back memories for a few people from a few years ago. <laughs> and people have been sleeping on the Patriots. They had a 2-4 start. They didn't look like they were going to do much of a start of this season. But they've won the last four. They're on a run. They're on a tear. And it's not a hard rest of the season for them. No, completely agree. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to Bills and Patriots for that division. And I think it could be a, a really interesting battle. Two massive games coming up. And that Boxing Day game, there's you know six game weeks between now and Boxing Day. But for me right now, that's looking like the pick of the Boxing Day games. Extremely excited about that Patriots-Bills matchup. And look, I know we've said it once before, but you do have to think, what a missed opportunity from the Dolphins. I mean, after the defence that they were showing last season... Patriots, they've got a brand new quarterback. They've got a lot of new pieces that they need to integrate into their team. This was the Dolphins' opportunity to finally start making tracks into getting back up in this division. And it feels like they've made no progress at all this season. In fact, it feels like they've gone backwards. It's always a shame when teams that you don't hate have backward steps. You know, I'm not a Dolphins supporter. I'm not a Dolphins fan. But I think that for most people our kind of age, there is that kind of... You know, the Dolphins, they were Dan Marino, they were Ace Ventura. They were a likeable team for kids in the 90s. And they've done nothing really too offensive in the last 20 years either. So you don't mind seeing the Dolphins doing well. They've got nothing to do with the NFC North. Doesn't hurt me if the Dolphins are doing well. It was nice to see them, after being so poor for so many years, take a forward step last season. But like you say, they've taken a backward step. Their defence at times last season looked up there with the best in the league. It's been porous for the most part this year. I mean, they showed what they can do when they put it together, like they did against the Ravens last Thursday night. But that's just been way too few and far between. And this is going to be another lost season. They've made big mistakes as well from a front office point of view in how they've treated Tua. I'm not saying that they're necessarily wrong on Tua. I'm not saying they should already be thinking about what the next move is there. But the way they've handled it has been... It's been very disrespectful to a player who probably doesn't deserve it. Yeah. Tua's done nothing at all to to be treated the way that he has. He's gone about his business in a professional manner and they've not treated him with that same courtesy. Yeah, completely agree with you on that one. So let's finish off then on, well, certainly a game closest to our hearts, Joe. It's finally come around. The Packers versus the Vikings this week. It's arrived. We have to talk about it. We won't bore the listeners with you know what's normally a three hour uh, <laughs> kind of pub 
argument about it. But I'll start it off. The Packers obviously won last week. They won quite well despite the score. It did seem that the Packers were in control of that game. 17 to nothing. And that makes it sound closer than what it was. The Seahawks were never winning that game. Russell Wilson had a bad game. Packers looked good. But it's one of those things where the famous meme from Avengers Endgame now, but at what cost? And the injuries certainly mounted up in that game for the Packers. Now, the news for certain players might be better than for others. We spoke at the time saying the best news that you could hope for for Jones was a sprained MCL. And that's what it looks like it is. It doesn't seem to be an MCL tear or anything on the ACL. He could be back in a couple of weeks. The news on Gary and Merciless is less positive. I think at the time of recording Tuesday evening, we don't have an official report on Gary yet. The way his elbow bent did not look very healthy, though. Well, And then on Merciless, he's confirmed out for the season. So that's two edge rushers now who are not playing this week, let's put it that way. Probably still your starting running back in Jones not starting this week. Green Bay are going to win the NFC North. I'm a Vikings fan. I've made peace with that. They're going to win. They currently hold the first seed in the NFC after the Cardinals' last couple of losses, despite the Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers issues that we've seen. They're going to want to hold that. They're going to want to hold that, and so they have to keep on winning. Have the injuries piled up too much this week, Charles? And is it the wrong time to be playing this inconsistent Minnesota Vikings team? Yeah, so I'll say two things on that. First off, I'm a massive Jones fan. You know that. Love number 33. I think he's he's a great asset to the team. That being said, out of all of those injuries, his is probably the one that affects us least. You know, Dylan had a really terrific game when Jones went off. He's proved himself a couple of times, both this season and last season, that he's got what it takes to be a lead rusher for this team. So I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not too stressed about missing Jones. Gary hurts massively and Merciless hurts as well, especially when they're both out together. And the other thing that I'd say, especially thinking about this Vikings team is they have been inconsistent, but they haven't been garbage. They are not a team who, like the Jets or like the Lions, are getting blown out on the regular they have lost a few games this season, but they a lot of them have been very, very close. And I think all of the games they've lost have been by a score. Yeah, they haven't lost by more than a score yet. And they've lost in overtime. They've lost because they missed a kick. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think look, we've got our offense back, and we can put up high numbers. But we know that the Vikings can do the same. And we know the Vikings are very solid in the run game, which is probably the area of Green Bay defense that is kind of less evolved than the rest of the team. You know, they did so well against the Seahawks last game because they were great in the pass defense. If Cook takes to the floor and the Vikings hit the run game hard and they're in a position where they don't need to be chasing, they don't need to be chucking the ball, I could definitely see the Vikings come away with a win this week. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. No, I'll I agree. That way. I, I don't have the confidence that the Vikings will go and win this because as much as they've put in performances against teams like the Chargers they did last week, they've then put in you know subpar performances to teams like Cincinnati, who they should have beat, and they took it to overtime and fluffed their lines. The Vikings could be a 9-0 team in a parallel universe. They could be an 0-9 team in a parallel universe. They've just been that inconsistent. Mm. 
It's not an important game for the NFC North. Like I said, that's settled. It is an important game for the Vikings. They're not going to win the division, but they're not dead in a playoff race yet. So this is key. Vikings win it. The NFC first seed is massively wide open once again. Vikings lose it. They're out of playoffs and Green Bay tighten their grasp on that first seed. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, more important than anything else, it's bragging rights between me and you. Of course, yeah. For a whole year. And you'll be surprised how long that feels when you're on the losing end of that. Actually, Charles, not a whole year yet. We're playing again on the 3rd of January. So Vikings Packers do play each other twice over the rest of the regular season. <laughs> oh, that'd be even worse if the victor is the same victor twice. Late little Christmas present for someone. A bad start to the year for someone else. <laughs> yeah, true. And so just to finish up on Charles, something football related, but nothing to do with football. The Packers, as you're well aware, being a fan of him, they're the only fan-owned team in all of America's four major leagues. Every basketball team, hockey team, baseball team are owned by rich individuals. Every football team is owned by a rich individual or small conglomerates of rich individuals. But the Packers are a fan-owned team. Now, for only the sixth time in the team's history, stock for the Green Bay Packers is going on sale this week. $300 a share, Charles. Are you buying? Yeah, I'm not eligible because I don't live in the US. Now, I suppose <laughs> I suppose I could get my hands on some stock, potentially by proxy. But listen, there's two things about this stock that I need to point out. One thing that's probably quite important to note, this stock, it doesn't appreciate. It cannot be traded. It offers you no say into team decisions or team management or anything like that whatsoever. It is quite simply... A bit of football memorabilia really is what it is. It's a bit of paper that's come from the Packers that says you're a part owner of the team. But at the same time, every Green Bay fan knows that. They're not buying this stock because they're trying to get rich. They're buying it because they want to support the team. They want to be a part of that history. And you frame it and you put it on the wall. And to be honest, you know, if you're going to spend $300 on a helmet versus $300 on something that says you're part owner of the team... I don't see the massive difference between that. And I think, yeah, do you know what? If I lived in the States, I probably would get myself a piece of that, just stick on my wall. It's a $300 donation to the team, basically, which is probably a lot lot less painful than paying $300 to watch them when Jordan Love's on the field. (laughs) This is true. Or to pay like $300 to some merch scalper or something like that do you know what i mean it's at least as you've pointed out all the funds go towards the team you support i don't really have an issue with that well there you go there you have it unfortunately charles cannot become a part owner of a green bay packers until he decides to move out to wisconsin (laughs) (laughs) and until then i will see you next week jazz speak to you next week joe